to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't want to review it all tonight. Although some of it's going to sound like review because the way I'm presenting this is a lot of repetition, hoping that Peter's method of 2 Peter chapter 1, that as long as I'm in this tabernacle, I will not cease to remind you, right. might help it stick a little longer. Amen. But let me briefly proceed through another review. It's not, it's not truly a review, but it's a presentation of large sins, and then we want to look at them tonight. There are large offenses that are against God, that are condemned by Him, that cannot be tolerated in a New Testament church. They cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The local church is the visible portion of the kingdom of God, and when there are sins that cannot inherit the kingdom of God, we do not allow them in the New Testament church. They are New Testament sins, and they're very specifically listed, as I'm about to show you. We do not use the Old Testament ceremonial law, and we do not even use the Old Testament moral law except to define, explain, and broaden those New Testament commandments so that we fully understand what was intended, because that's what the Old Testament is for. If these sins are observed privately in a brother, he should be warned and converted from the error of his way. And if we were all doing our duty... That is where sin should stop by the grace of God most every time. Because we would see a brother being overtaken in a fault, Galatians 6, or in error, James 5, or acting unruly, 1 Thessalonians 5. And in all three cases, we have a duty to warn that brother and save him. And brethren, if we all did our duty that way, we could cut off sin privately convert men, save their souls from death, and hide a multitude of sins. And that's the purpose. One of the purposes of a church is for us to help one another that way until the Lord Jesus returns and he will deliver us from all our sins. The presence, the power, every memory of them until we're holy in his presence. This is true soul winning. Now, if a brother is able to convert one from the error of his way, if he's able to restore one who's been overtaken in a fault, that's a great work, and it's a spiritual work, and it's a good work, and it's something that we ought not to shy away from, but be aggressive towards serving one another. If you're able to convert a brother privately that you see in a sin, I don't care how heinous. An example I used in the past is Brother Jeff having an idol in his backyard. And his wife, Rhonda, eventually is able to convert him from that idol that's in his backyard. That's idolatry. What a heinous sin for a believer in the New Testament to have an idol in their backyard. But that is a private sin. And if Rhonda is able to convert him from the error of his way, and he repents, praise God, his soul is saved from death, a multitude of sins are hid, and no one ever knows about it. Right. And that's the way it ought to be done. A multitude of sins are hidden. Now let's, let's assume that Rhonda is unable to make any headway with Jeff. And every day, every evening when he comes home from work, he makes his way to the backyard to pray once again to his idol. And, and, and all of you know Brother Jeff. 
that there isn't even a hint of this in this congregation with that brother. I just want to use the same illustrations I've used for many years so that everyone knows that we haven't changed a thing. We're still teaching the very same thing we always taught. This is the glory of the New Testament. This is how we're supposed to serve one another. And I'm picking something heinous so that you obviously know that those that are less heinous, more common than idolatry, certainly fall into these verses. If Jeff will not listen to her, then she should come and tell her pastor. She shouldn't tell anyone else, but there's one person that has a right to know, and that's the pastor. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Flip back just a couple of pages to chapter 1. I hope that it is so obvious to you that as fathers in your household, if there's something going on behind your back, you want your children to come and tell you. So that you can be the most knowledgeable party in that household and not someone else. So that you can do diligent inquisition and search out a matter and find out if it's true or not. That is not tattling. If you, if Rhonda comes and tells the pastor with the purpose of saving Brother Jeff and restoring his soul and keeping our congregation pure, that is not tattling, that's not whispering, that's not backbiting, because her intent is noble. To go and spread that around, running her husband down, would be whispering, backbite, backbiting, and tattling. We all, we all know that as fathers, it shouldn't even hardly need an explanation. But I want to show you in the Bible that pastors are told things in the way of rumors or facts about other church members. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul could write to this church at Corinth and say, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Paul knew that there were contentions fighting going on in the church at Corinth because one of the families had told him that there were. So one family had squealed in the church at Corinth by telling the Apostle Paul there was a problem, and the Apostle Paul boldly tells us that here by the inspiration of God so that we can see that sometimes a pastor needs to be told about what's going on in a church so that the pastor can serve that church better. And if a child tells their father something that a brother or a sister is doing with the intent of helping that child and helping that father, that is a noble thing. And they should be rewarded and honored for that. Now, we're all wise enough, aren't we? If you're not any wiser than your children, then we've got bigger problems to pray for. But hopefully, if a child comes to you and their only intent is to get the other child in trouble, we can all figure that one out also. And so can pastors. And then we've got a different problem. I'll be trying to convert you from the error of your way by whispering to me about someone when you did not have a good motive. There are other verses that I could turn you to, but I'm going to trust that that's enough. They're all going to be in the manual. There's a number of them, even in the New Testament and in the Old. When a judge in a position of authority is told something, he is to make diligent inquisition. These are the Bible words. Diligent inquisition does not mean tying you on a rack and slowly pulling your joints apart like the inquisition of the Dark Ages. 
It means inquiring into a matter and ascertaining who's telling the truth and if there truly is a problem. And if there is, then dealing with it in a scriptural way. In our illustration here, Rhonda has told me that Jeff is guilty of idolatry and she's been unable to make any headway with him. Then it's my turn to go to Jeff. And so I, tr- I labor with Jeff and try to convert him from the error of his way. And if I cannot, then we've got a problem of obstinance in the church. This large private matter is now a large private matter where there's obstinance. And in that situation, it's a pastor's responsibility to rebuke that man and make it public. And when it's made public, then we have something to deal with because we have an obstinate large sinner against God that's been in this congregation that we're going to make public and put out because of obstinance. If he had repented, it would have been kept at the Rhonda level. If he had repented with the pastor, it would have been kept hidden at the pastor level. No one would ever have known. But if he remains obstinate, then the pastor makes it public with a public rebuke, bringing the whole thing before the church, and then it's dealt with as a large public sin, just like the fornicator in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Another way that a sin like that can become public is if he invites everyone over to his house, and for some reason we all wander through the backyard and find his statue there. Now that's one way that it could become public. You know, without the pastor making it public, and I'm sorry if I'm amusing you with my illustration, I just want to point out the fact that even idolatry, if it's repented of, can be kept private. And brethren, we're all sinners. Every single one of us. And if you are sitting there thinking, but I'm not, you're sinning now, when will you repent of that one? Because it's self-righteousness. It's pride. And it's a difficult one to ever repent of. We're all sinners. And by the grace of God, we can serve one another by helping each other walk that straight and narrow way of holiness to please the Lord. When these large matters, sins against God, become public, and this one becomes public in our illustration because of obstinance, we then have a situation that matches up with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It cannot exist in a congregation. It doesn't matter whether the person is repentant then or not. Once it becomes public, it is too late because the whole church, it's of common report, it's being named among us that one of these large offenses against God has been entertained and the sinner would not repent with private efforts made to convert him. And they would not be meager efforts, brethren, because it is not our intention to exclude church members. It's our intention to save church members. And so when by the time it reaches your knowledge in a matter like that, great efforts would have been made to have converted that brother. If there were other spiritual brethren in the congregation that I believe might have had credibility with Brother brother Jeff in this particular example, I may have used them before it ever got to this level in an effort to save him. Pastor's judgment. But once it becomes public knowledge, we have to put that person out The Apostle Paul did not ask about the repentance on the part of the fornicator. He simply said, when you come together in your next assembly, I have already determined what ought to be done in this matter. We don't need any deliberation. We don't need any questions. Just come together and put him out. Put that wicked person from among your... Put that 
put away from among yourselves that wicked person. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 13. Now, brethren, that's how we deal with large sins. They can be private. They can be covered. All, all sorts of things happen. And if anyone has a problem with that covering sin, and we're going to deal more with that, I just want to throw this out for you to think about. All of you do this on a regular basis with your families. All of you fathers are just like the pastor of a church. You do the same thing. You convert and cover your wives all the time for all sorts of different different sins of insubordination, slothfulness, smarting, whatever the case is. And more than wives, children. How many fathers come up every Sunday and ask for five minutes in order to be tell the, to tell the church about all the things their children have done wrong this past week that happen to be church members? We don't do that. The father has a disobedient son. He deals with that son with the best wisdom he has from the word of God. Hopefully the son repents. The matter is buried and hidden. The pastor doesn't even know about it. If Rhonda would have converted Jeff, pastor doesn't even know about it. It's hidden. And we do it all the time in our families. Every family in here has sinful children and sinful spouses. And no one comes up here and wants to publicly disclose a private matter that's been dealt with and rectified. Now, if you can't rectify it, and there's obstinance there and they're church members, then at some point the pastor needs to get involved in order to try to solve that matter and bring that person to conversion and repentance, or we've got an obstinate sinner of the large sort in the congregation, and we're abusing the Lord's table by leaving it there. Let's go look at the list of sins. Just see if it'll provoke us all before we part company this this Sunday as to those areas in our lives that we ought to be careful about that God considers large enough that they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. What does that mean? Let me chase this one just for a second. What does it mean? This This is part of the explanation, part of the definition on how to treat an excluded brother. Not to keep company. You are not to have ordinary, social, friendly interchange with an excluded brother. Let me show you how the word's defined right in our context. In verse 9, he said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. There's a description right there. We can't altogether get away from the fornicators of this world because we have to work with them, live beside them, travel with them, buy our groceries from them, and so forth. That companying is not church companying. It's social companying. And so when we come to verse 11 and it says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. There's to be extra effort made. We can company with the fornicators of this world. But when a brother is a fornicator, we actually make a greater difference. And there's a reason. It's in 2 Thessalonians 3 that they might be ashamed. And it's not forever. 
It's to purge their flesh and to save their spirit. Everyone wonders, this isn't difficult. And if we did it the godly way, we would see faster repentance. Let's go back to the sins. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such and one, no, not to eat. That's part of companying. Social interaction usually involves a meal. Now let's look at that list. Fornicator. Fornication is, we often think, sexual intercourse between unmarried people. But in the Bible, it's a much bigger sin than that. It includes adultery in what chapter of the Bible? 1 Corinthians 5, right where you're at. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And what was the fornication? That a man had his father's wife, which is adultery. But adultery is a subset of fornication. Fornication is a big superset of sexual sins. Can you think of another sin in the Bible that falls into the definition of fornication? Sodomites. Over in the book of Jude, where it's speaking of the of the inhabitants of Sodom, it says they went after strange flesh, which is not man after woman and woman after man, but man after man and woman after woman, not going after strange flesh, flesh other than what God intended, and it's called fornication in the book of Jude. Fornication is the superset. It is unlawful sex. And don't try to play around with words with me like... a certain authority in our nation. Fornication. Because if fornication doesn't cover it, then we're going to run into a word called filthiness and uncleanness that will cover it even beyond that. It's not the largest superset, but fornication is a lot bigger than some give it credit for being. That's what we have here. A brother that is called a fornicator, the two don't go together. The saints of the Lord Jesus Christ do not commit fornication. They do not have unlawful sex. You have one person for the rest of your life to have sex with, and that is your spouse. Period. It doesn't matter that everyone's doing it. It doesn't matter that it's popular on television. It doesn't matter that you just couldn't help it. It's a sin, and it doesn't belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, it can be covered privately, but yes, it will be excluded if it becomes public. Fornicator. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, then it says covetous. To be covetous is to have a strong desire of possessing that which belongs to another. And we covet all sorts of things. It's easy to covet things, but it's still a sin. And it's a sin that saints ought not to have. But how can you ever tell covetousness? A man that doesn't save his money, he could be very well covetous. A man that doesn't give, he must be covetous. A man that's hung up and always talking about something he doesn't have, he very well could be covetous. You say, how would we ever, how would we ever exclude someone for covetousness? Your pastor would have to bring the charge and have enough evidence to convince you and lead you to exclude someone for covetousness. It's one of those sins. 
There are two kinds of sins, the nature of sin. Some sins are either yes or no. Either you have fornicated or you haven't fornicated. You've murdered someone or you haven't. I mean, there's someone dead or there's not. You've either murdered or you haven't. But when it's covetousness, that's on a continuum from a little bit to a lot. And somewhere in there, someone has to draw the difference in, this is Bible terminology, draw the difference between the holy and the profane. Someone has to draw a line. And it was the judges in Israel, and it's the pastor of a New Testament church. It's the bishop. It's the ruler of a church in just the way that a father has to make that decision. How far do I let this particular thing go in my children before I clamp down on it? You all do it. Sometimes you'll let it ride. But then it reaches a point where you say, that is wrong, and I'm not going to put up with that anymore in this household. And a church and a pastor has to do that in a church. But covetousness, brethren, let's remember as you as you are going through this world, not to desire those things that are not yours. An idolater. An idolater is the worship of idols or images made with hands, or giving honor to something rather than to God. And I I could preach a message on each one of these, you know I could, by looking at all the references in the Bible and defining the word in its depth. But I'm hoping that just a review might get your attention about the sins that are all around us. An idolater, a railer. What's a railer? A railer is a man who utters abusive language, name-calling, harsh language, is a railer. An example would be when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they railed on him. They railed on him. If you're the son of God, then show us that by coming down from the cross. That was railing on him. The church of Jesus Christ cannot put up with a railer. Public railing, where a man would rail and it would be of common report, where a man loses his temper and uses abusive language on another brother or on someone who isn't a brother, but it's seen by all, is a crime that in the New Testament cannot be tolerated. It's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a railer. Right. Now we want to think calling names certainly can't be as bad as fornication, is it? Here's how God views it. God views calling someone a name in anger and unkindness is a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not kill. You can find that defined for you in Matthew chapter 5, about verses 20 through 22. Or a drunkard. Drunkenness is the state of being intoxicated to where you lose your self-control. Using alcohol, or in our society, other chemicals, to lose your self-control is something the saints of God don't do. It can be kept private. You can also be excluded for it if the church finds out about it. Or an extortioner. To extort is to obtain from a reluctant person something by violence, torture, intimidation, or authority, or importunity, or overwhelming arguments, or any powerful influence. If you extract from someone something they don't really want to do, that's extortion. That means we should be gentle and careful in our dealings with everyone. 
And there are certain temperaments that, would, that should really listen to what I just said. We don't have too many of them, but you've all met them. And to put undue pressure on someone to do something by any means, it can be lawful or unlawful, but to force someone to do something that they didn't want to do, the Bible says that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, with such and one, know not to eat. That word such is a very unique word. It's a demonstrative word meaning to indicate the quantity or quality of a particular list of things. That these sins are all comparable and with such type people, we are not to company, we're not to eat when they're called a brother and like this. Now we go to work every day with people like this. But when they're brothers, we are not supposed to. We come over to chapter 6. Let's look at a further additions to this list. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators. We've already had it. Showing you the similarity of the list. Nor idolaters. Showing the similarity of the list. Nor adulterers. We have a subset. Married pe- subset of fornication. Married people having sexual intercourse or sex with other people. That's adultery. Seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's something that the church of God cannot tolerate. Nor effeminate. That's men acting like women. Or Twinkies. Or what queers. Or whatever you want to call them. And again, everyone's opinion on who what a Twinkie is, is going to vary. Some of you might think this tie's a little Twinkie. I mean, a redneck's going to think anything's Twinkie almost. It's just, in a, in a congregation, there's going to be a whole variety of opinions. And we don't sit around and vote on it. But here's, here's a sin that's on a, what's called a continuum. It, it's somewhere along this continuum when you're over here a transvestite and a cross-dresser being one extreme, and this extreme you wear pink ties to church. Somewhere in between is a point that reaches being effeminate. Prior to that, there could be private rebukes, private warnings, private suggestions, or public rebukes before it reaches a point where it is named as being an effeminate individual that will not repent. Effeminate. God wants manly men. And I hope that encourages all of you living in the year 2000 that God wants manly men and the church of Jesus Christ cannot tolerate effeminate men. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, sodomites, faggots, queers, whatever you want to call them except homosexuals. The Bible doesn't ever use that word, but it's got a whole lot of other descriptive phrases for them. Abusers, because it's the abuse of nature. God made something good and they've perverted it. Abusers of themselves with mankind. And if you ask me, can that sin be covered if it was private? Yes, it can. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Those converts that made up the Corinthian church, Corinth was a horrible city, like our San Francisco, except probably worse. That's hard to imagine, 
but probably worse, at Corinth. And yet, the Corinthian church was made up of sinners that had every one of these sins in the list just given, and such were some of you. Any sin can be covered, brethren. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's in His blood and by your diligent work to convert that person and bring them to a place where they turn from their wicked way and turn back to the truth and repudiate that sin. And anything short of that is not the repentance sufficient to bury it. Nor thieves. We should be able to understand that. That's stealing. Nor covetous. We've already had it once. Nor drunkards. We've had that. Nor revilers. Which is... Very similar to railing. To revile someone is to degrade or abase them or to subject them to opprobrious or abusive language. Just like railing. Nor extortioners, there it's mentioned again, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such, there's that demonstrative word again, listing all those sins and saying that these sins in a list comprise a category a certain type of sin. And we've learned what type it is. Large offenses against God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you ever meet an abuser of themselves with mankind and they want to know if there's any hope for them, turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Because they can be washed and sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. It doesn't matter. Just because you don't particularly like it, it's by the grace of God. That's right. Even naturally, if you don't like it, is what I meant. It's by the grace of God. It's contrary to nature, but Jesus Christ saved us from sins even like that. Your sins would cause hell to burn just as hot. Right. Let's now come over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Why are these sexual sins mentioned so often? Because they're popular. And all you men come on Wednesday night because we're going after some of these things and the way that they creep into our lives. And we are going to cut them out by the grace of God. Adultery. Fornication. Already mentioned in both lists. Fornications in all the lists. Uncleanness. Uncleanness. Defined by the Bible, it does not mean you need to go wash your hands. Uncleanness defined by the Bible is moral impurity or an instance of this. And when you go look it up, it's primarily sexual in nature that is not sexual intercourse with someone that's unlawful. But it's heading in that direction. And there are examples in the Bible of that. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. You say if uncleanness was too vague for you, then what about lasciviousness? Lasciviousness is simply inclined to lust, lewd or wanton, unprincipled, undisciplined, with lust, unchaste, lascivious. Lascivious means not to discipline and control your lusts. That means you are trying to satisfy your lusts. And you can satisfy your lusts short of the actual act of fornication or adultery. Lasciviousness. You say, why did God put something in there like that? 
Because the Lord God is looking for a holy people. Amen. Even to th- the thought of foolishness is sin. Right. And if you can't control your thoughts to where your thoughts are driving you to entertain yourself with others committing the sins, like movies or the internet or magazines, then you are guilty of a sin that falls in the same list with those that are doing it. Romans 1 would say this, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Watching others do something sinful like fornication and to get your lust fulfilled in watching it is lasciviousness, is uncleanness, is an indirect form of fornication and adultery, is filthiness, as we're going to see shortly, and it falls right in the same category. Now, we can be Pharisees, can't we? And we can come along and tell Jesus Christ that we've never committed adultery. And Jesus Christ would say in Matthew chapter 5, if you've ever looked on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. And if you've ever used divorce or any other means to get rid of the wife that God gave you in order to get another woman, you've committed adultery. Jesus Christ is unmerciful when it comes to messing around with a covenant that we make with God. Lasciviousness, unbridled lust, the entertainment of your lust. Then we have idolatry, which we've already seen. We have witchcraft, playing around with anything to do with the occult or spirits, soothsaying, fortune tellers, Ouija boards, horoscopes. There should be no saint of the Lord Jesus Christ reading the horoscope. Where'd the horoscope come from? Is that a source of divine knowledge? Or is that a source of satanic knowledge? Satanic. The Ouija board. Is it just a child's game because it's sold at Toys R Us? Or is that a vehicle for Satan? That is a vehicle for Satan. Because you close your eyes and put your fingertips on that thing and you are trusting a spirit to give you a message, and it is not the spirit of God because he's given his message. It's witchcraft. Halloween is witchcraft. Hatred. 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 Because it's a violation of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. You hate your brother without a cause, or you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of the sixth commandment. Hatred. If there was to be conduct in this church where two members never spoke to each other and there was obvious animosity between them, that is something we all ought to be trying to rectify. Our goal, brethren, is to have every member equally in love with every other member. Isn't that the, that's the ultimate dream of this pastor, and I hope of all of you that we all love one another equally. Hatred. Variance. Variance. The fact or state of undergoing change or alteration. Tendency to vary or become different. To want to to disagree or falling out. Discord. Dissension. Contention. Debate. Variance is not holding the position that's being taught in the church that the Bible teaches. An example would be, after Paul spends 15 verses teaching that men ought to have short hair and women have long hair, he says over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Amen. That's variance. We don't allow any other position. We don't allow discussions and we don't contend about matters that I've just read to you. The Apostle Paul is saying, there is no place for variance. This morning I used the word variance when I gave the illustration that if we had a small matter come before the church, like the jigsaw with the missing power cord, and the church made a judgment on that, if the brother wouldn't heed that judgment, he's at variance against the judge that God has established, which is you, brethren, as to how that situation should be rectified. And if he will not submit to you, that is variance from the judge that God's established, and he would be put out for public disagreement and contention with the position that you ordered him to take. If the majority ruled and there was a minority party that in a matter like that held an opposite position, they also would be guilty of variance. And in these smallest matters, it would be horrible if that were ever to happen. But some of us know of a situation where a small matter became a church-splitting matter. After variance, emulations. Emulations? What's an emulation? Where do you buy one? What is it? It's a word we don't use much anymore. Emulation is the desire to equal or exceed someone else in something. You mean the American competitive spirit? Uh-huh. Listen to the definition again. The endeavor to equal or surpass others in any achievement or quality, or the desire or ambition to equal or excel. Wow. You mean the Bible really means it when it says to look on the things of others and to make them more important than yourself? Does it really mean that? Does it really mean it when it says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves? That competitive desire to be equal to or better than another church member in some thing, looks, athletic accomplishments, Bible knowledge, whatever, but it's driving you because you just want to be better than someone else. To put them down and to put yourself up is emulation. And it's outlawed in the New Testament. Wow. If a, if a people were never guilty of that, they'd always be lowly in mind, wouldn't they? Right. And they'd be putting each other up instead of trying to excel. Oh, she got a new dress last week. I need a new dress this week. Or he did such and such. I need to get up and say such and such before the church that I've done that also. It's there all the time, that competitive desire to equal or excel someone else. Wrath. Wrath. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20. Wrath. Now, does every time you get angry mean that you've sinned? No, because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, be ye angry and sin not. not. So there's a way to be angry and not sin. But now what if you're angry with your brother without a cause? What if you let... The sun go down upon your wrath. Sin. So we need to be careful of our anger. Very careful. I know, brethren, I could stop on each one of these and we could exhaust the Bible from Genesis to Revelation about wrath, but I don't want to extend this series any longer than I have to. I just want to 
I want to get through it, and I want you to be reminded that even something like anger is something that we better control. The sun better go, not go down upon it. Husbands and wives, you better not go to bed at night. And this is something I'm working at very hard with my wife. We have a little commitment to keep. We, we know exactly what needs to take place when we go to bed in order for us to be able to know before God that we have not let the sun go down upon anything bad. And so we're doing our best because, oh, it is hard after a rough day of being a little irritated with your wife and she's a little irritated with you to go into that room and turn the lights out and what's going to happen? Is the sun going to go down on wrath and you're still upset? You're a sinner. A saint would clear that matter up before the night was over. A saint would clear it up. And brethren, it's a lot of hard work. But if, but if, listen, except for one sister whom I hope you'll all pray for, we've all got, all of us in here that are married have converted spouses. And that means if they're all listening, and if you men go home and repeat any of this, there should be two parties in that dark room that are both trying to get the same thing done. And when two parties are trying to get the right thing done, it gets done usually. Amen. May the Lord bless us to do that. Right. Strife. Strife is the action of contending in opposition. It's antagonism or enmity or discord. He that soweth discord among brethren is someone that sows strife. That's disagreement or differences. That's so they're not allowed. We don't allow to have strife in a church. We don't open this, we don't open the church up for debates and have someone say, well, I believe something and another brother, well, I disagree with that. That doesn't belong in the church of Christ. The Apostle Paul wouldn't have put up with that for one minute. We have no such custom, he said in 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. There is no warring or infighting that goes on like that in the church of Jesus Christ. Seditions. That is the effort to overthrow established authority. Sedition is an effort to undermine someone's authority. And that can happen against a pastor, it can happen against a church, to steal away people to make a following like Absalom did against his father David in order to overthrow David's authority as the king of Israel. Heresies, holding any position contrary to the orthodox or true or biblical or taught position. We have an established position in this church on most everything. If you want to go into Ezekiel 36 and take some position in there on Gog and Magog, I'm probably not going to fight you too hard. But if you go, and you know what I all mean by that, go read those chapters sometime. We'll just trust the Lord for them. I'm glad that he wrote them in the Old Testament and that I'm in the New Testament. But you say, what about the book of Revelation? I'm not going to fight you hard there either in some chapters. But we have an established position on many subjects in the Word of God, and heresy is to hold and to promote a different position. Right. I've taught in the past, as long as you are not trying to make efforts at sedition, and you are still willing to hear and be taught, I can put up with differences. I will be laboring for your conversion. Right. And you had better not be spreading them in any effort of sedition, and you better be willing to be able to sit there and still be taught. But differences become destructive and they become heretical when you close and stop up your ears 
as the Jews did to Stephen, or when you are spreading it to start to build a following for yourself in your novel little ideas. Other than that, I'm not that difficult of a pastor. And I'm saying I'm giving you all. I've taught this before. I still hold the very same position. Verse 21, envyings. To envy someone is to have malignant or hostile feelings, ill will or malice, or feelings of mortification or hatred occasioned by the contemplation of superior advantages possessed by another. It means that you're upset because someone is better off than you are. That's envy. We know what it means. It is not tolerated in the church of God. That sixth commandment, drunkenness, revelings. What's a reveling? We have an expression in our society. They don't say on Friday night, let's go revel. They say, let's go party. Reveling is partying. Saints of God don't go partying. If you want to have a feast where you bless the Most High God and you even want to have wine and strong drink there in the spirit of the Word of God to make glad the heart of man and you want to love your brethren, rejoice with your brethren, so be it and God bless you in it. But the partying of this world, which just is partying for carnal purposes only, wasting their time, tending toward drunkenness, not always inclusive of drunkenness, but tending toward it, frivolous purpose, just because it's Friday night, that is the partying of our generation, which is a big, vague term, that's the reveling of the Bible. A lot of loud noise, a lot of excessive eating, usually excessive drinking, foolishness, no purpose, no glory to God, just a waste of time, money, and your appetites. No bridling of the lust. Anything goes, practically, heading in that direction. It's called reveling. There's other words used in other places in the Bible to help you understand that, of banqueting in uh, in one place you can find over in Peter where that's even condemned. But we know that it's not totally condemned because we see even the New Testament churches that they had feasts of charity. That is big spreads where the poor members of the congregation could come in and tank up. Feasts of charity. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. See if we can add any more to the list. This is all going to be in an outline for you with definitions, multiple cross-references so that you can see how these words are used in the Bible. And to remind, these are things that go on around us all the time. Some of these are in, everywhere. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now in case the Lord missed anything in one of his lists, he just uses the word unrighteousness. Now, instead of being inclusive with that word unrighteousness, we want to be exclusive with it and make it li- and limit it to words such a- to sins such as those that are in the list. We don't want this unrighteousness to be broadened out so wide that it includes the small matters of Matthew 18. We want to narrow it down so that it's any sin that might have a name that doesn't fit the list, but it's like the sins in the list. It doesn't belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, 
We've already had, remember I told you it was in every list. Wickedness, in case we missed something, we've got one called wickedness. Because the feast is not to be kept with the leaven of malice and wickedness. We don't want to look at wickedness as inclusive by including every little offense so that it gets those small matters of 1 Corinthians 6, but we're going to include everything that even smells like the rest of these sins that are listed under that term wickedness. Wickedness, covetousness, we've seen. Maliciousness. Maliciousness is spitefulness. It's malice. It's ill will. It's having hateful attitudes toward other people. That's maliciousness. We shouldn't have those in here. Full of envy. We've seen it. Murder. Debate. That's like strife. Someone who wants to argue. If you're a father, how much do you like arguing? If you're an employer or a department manager, how much do you like arguing? You all know, don't you? And there is no arguing to be done in the church of God. No debate. That doesn't mean you can't come and ask questions with a proper Christian spirit. But there isn't a place for debate or arguing. Deceit, that's lying. Defraud, I mean, that's lying or defrauding or tricking or extorting. Deceit includes any any unlawful means by which you have misrepresented the truth and by dishonest means have gained something. Deceit. Malignity. More hatred. Malignity is just a, an older word that we don't use anymore for hatred. Uh, just a deep-seated, bitter hatred towards someone. Malignity. Whisperers. There's someone taught whispering in a corner, in a secret, on the phone, through email, that's what it meant, whispering by email about someone else where they can't read or hear what you're saying, but you're whispering about them and spreading things that defame their character, even if they are true. Slander is when you tell something that is not true about someone. Do you know what? God calls it whispering because he doesn't care if it's true or not. Even if it is true, you're not supposed to be telling anything about someone that would damage their character. Everything we say about another should be to lift them up and build them up. It should be, as the Bible says, edifying. And right along with whisperers, backbiters. Very similar. Biting someone in the back saying something about them when they're not around and they can't hear to run them down. Haters of God. Oh, you're kidding. How could whispering and hating of God be in the same list? Does that make sense to you? He's a holy God, as I heard one brother here say, and this is his list. This is not my list. This is not a list from a seminary. This is not a list from a seminar that I went to over the past week. For your benefit. This is the word of God. He has in the same list. Whispering. With hating God. Because if God tells you not to whisper. And you're going to go ahead and whisper anyway. To destroy. Someone that God has loved. And sent his son to save. You are a hater of God. Because 1 John says. How in the world can you love God. And hate those that are begotten of him. Amen. 
It all fits. Haters of God. Despiteful. Despiteful is to be contemptuous, insulting, cruel, fierce, cherishing ill will, malignant, malicious, spiteful. It's just a bad attitude toward people. It's negative. It's critical. It's harmful. It's holding ill will and grudges against someone else. That's what it means to be despiteful. It cannot be tolerated in the kingdom of God. Proud. Proud. How do we identify that one? Pride. We're all guilty of it. We have it resting in our bosoms. But as far as the public offense of it, you know, that would take a case of a pastor bringing something before a congregation to define and prove and or tell you that such a person has been guilty of pride. Boasters. To speak ostentatiously, to speak vaingloriously, to extol oneself, to vaunt, to brag. Boasting, which is a, the verbal proof and evidence of pride. Inventors of evil things. Those that use their original thoughts or ingenuity to come up with evil devices or designs, to plan or to contrive something that is wrong. Inventors of evil things. This is what God turns men over to, and these sins are worthy of death, according to this passage. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents is a sufficient crime to be excluded from the church of Jesus Christ. We've had that in our ancient past in this assembly. And we've disciplined for that. We have a lot of young church members, but they better be obedient to their parents. And fathers, if you reach a situation where you have obstinance, then it's time for that for the pastor to know about that so it can be dealt with. And eventually, we, would, we do not want a disobedient child communing with us at the Lord's table. If you cannot correct them at home, and if after we've worked together we cannot correct them and convert them, they need to be put out. Right. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding. <clears throat> without understanding. The inability to comprehend. To apprehend the meaning or importance of something. To grasp the idea of something. Without understanding is a sin. Now, the Lord makes some choices where a person cannot understand, and the New Testament calls them comfort the feeble-minded. But if someone is not feeble-minded and just keeps using an excuse that they don't understand, well, I just don't understand. Have you ever heard that one before? Right here. It's in the list of hating God and murder and disobedience to parents. Well, I just don't understand. Well, you better understand. That's why when we come into an assembly, it is time to listen and to pay attention. There is too much taught. There, is too many, there are too many vehicles and tools to study and to retain what has been taught. There's too many easy ways to review. You can read the Bible. You can pray. You can ask for private tutoring lessons by your pastor or anyone else in the congregation to come up to understanding. Without understanding is an excuse. 
And I hope that you trust your pastor enough that that would never be used unless there was obviously genetic ability there to understand or age ability. I mean, some our minds are all going to go away pretty soon. If the Lord leaves us here long enough and isn't fully gracious to our minds, we're all going to be without understanding. But that isn't what's meant here, and you, you all know that. Without understanding, covenant breakers. What's a covenant that we've all entered into, almost all of us? Marriage. marriage. Covenant breaking is to break up a marriage. Or any contract that you have with a brother in here, employment con- type of a contract, or any sort of a contract that you would break is to break a covenant. Or any sort of a covenant that you might make with God that everyone knows about and you break it. That's why the Bible says, Be not rash to speak when you come into the house of God. Covenant breaking is a sin. Without natural affection, that's sodomy again. Having love that does not meet with nature, that does not match nature. It's loving things that nature does not teach us to love. Implacable. Implacable is someone that you can't satisfy no matter what you do. You cannot please them. You cannot satisfy them. They will not accept your effort to make them happy, to, to, to provide an answer for them. They're not, if, you, if you give them an answer, yes, they'll reject that one. If you give them an answer, no, they'll reject that, even though you've given them both opposites. It's like there's a man in the Bible that I want to say his name, but I want you to remember Ahab was implacable. He hated the prophet of God because he never said anything good about him. So when the prophet of God came before him and said something good about him, he accused him of lying. That Ahab was implacable. We chuckle about it, but it was such a wicked attitude. He hated God's prophet because he wouldn't say good things. So when God's prophet did say something good, then he called him a liar. And we will meet people like that sometimes. No matter what you say, they're implacable. They will not be satisfied unmerciful. If there's a situation in here with your children, with your wife, with employees, with other church members, where you do not show mercy, remember this, brethren. We're to be merciful because God's been merciful to us. Unmerciful is a sin of the New Testament that cannot be tolerated. Who, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. One more passage, brethren. We'll close for tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. It's very short. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll add a few more to this list. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. But fornication. We've had that already. Remember, it's in every list. And all uncleanness. Not just some uncleanness, but all uncleanness. All moral impurity. Or covetousness, we've had that. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Brethren, listen to these words from the Apostle Paul, which are from God himself to us. Fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Saints do not have these sins named even once among them. But now look at the next verse. Neither. Does that mean that we should consider what's about to follow of the same degree of seriousness as verse 3? Neither 
filthiness, again, moral impurity or sexual impurity of a broader base than just sexual intercourse with the wrong person. It's broader and bigger than that. Filthiness. Nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. I remember hearing this verse explained one time as neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which is not convenient. Like there's convenient jesting, and there's inconvenient jesting. The problem is the verb that's in that little phrase there, which are, are is singular or plural? Plural. Plural. So it's applying to all three. three. Filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting are not convenient. Now I know that I am saying something radically opposed to this generation. But I am not saying something radically opposed to every generation that came in this world until the last couple. Because life was more serious for the vast majority of previous generations than this one. We are nothing but a sitcom generation. Laugh, 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 and foolishness all the time. Life is serious. Living a holy life is more serious. Living a holy life in light of coming judgment is very serious. Living a holy life in light of coming judgment with the realization of what a sinner you are is very, very serious. I sound like a Neanderthal that is crying in the wind. Which are not convenient. Do you know where those words come from? If If your mind is familiar with the word of God, they come from Romans chapter 1. Where God, because of the people being unthankful and worshiping the creature more than the creator, he gives them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. convenient. Do you mean to tell me that filthiness, foolish talking and jesting belongs in the same category as sodomy? Do you know when you're going to understand this verse fully? When you see the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will know that my little meager efforts to try to warn you about being sober, and brethren, I'm as tempted as any of you. I'm as verbal as any of you, which means when you're verbal, in our society, it's to say something light. It's to say something foolish. It's to say something in jest. It's a horrible thing. I hate it. But when you see Jesus Christ in one nanosecond of time, you'll know that I was right. Because what I read in my Bible is that the heaven and the earth will flee away from his face. There will be no jokes whatsoever. Listen, when men saw an angel, they fell at their feet as dead. Let alone when we see God. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are put right along with fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, The Bible says they're not convenient. He ranks them right along with the gross sins of Romans chapter 1. And he tells us instead of filthy talking, instead of foolish talking, instead of jesting, do you know what we could always be doing? Giving of thanks. What if we were always giving of thanks? But rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, 
hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Those six things that were listed there, three in verse 3, three in verse 4, the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience. May the Lord help us to be more sober. May the Lord help us to replace our foolish talking and our jesting with the giving of thanks. May the Lord take something that was said in this list tonight to provoke you to love and to good works. May we love one another. May we maintain holy lives. And may we become the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't, we're already those saints, but I mean, may we live in a becoming way so that we all look like the saints of Jesus. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.